Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Nine percent. A Republican ran for senator in California, the state once governed by Ronald Reagan. A Republican ran for senator in California, and last night, as a representative of Donald Trump's Republican Party in California, the Republican running for Senate in California got 9% of the vote, could not get into double digits, 9% of the vote. The Republican was crushed by incumbent Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein, who won 44% of the vote in the open primary in November. She will face another Democrat, a state senator, Kevin DeLeon, who got 11% of the vote. The Republican Party got wiped out in the Senate race in California. No Republican has ever done worse running for Senate in California. So today we're here with John Michael Williams, who is also a double hyphen. I just had to point that out. <laughs> who is a candidate, <laughs> right? Who is a candidate for Senate. So he's going to be running for Kamala Harris's seat. And he's also the CEO, CEO of a nonprofit called TV4TV, which is uh, the Vision for the Valley. And they are looking to create a new UC campus in the Central Valley of California. So welcome, JM. Thank you so much, Tina. It's nice to be here. Absolutely. So let's start off talking a little bit about TV4TV, because I think, you know, um, I'm on the our, my UC alumni board now. So I see the need for having um, another campus added. A lot of folks might not realize that one of the mandates of the UC system is to take in the top uh, percentage of graduates in the state of California. And at some point when there's too many um, graduates in those positions and they don't have enough spots to uh, offer them in the UC system, they look to increase by adding another campus. The last one we did was Merced. But I do think um, we're headed in that area now. And I think it's a really important important area to focus on. And you're right that that uh, Tular Valley area doesn't really have, um, they're not adequate, adequately uh, funded as far as education is concerned. So it's a good spot. So tell me about how you came to um, create this organization. What was your principal motivation and what you see for the next two years um, as far as organizing? Right. So thank you so much for that question. So I actually started TV for TV because um, I myself uh, moved to Texas, and I lived in San Antonio for five years, and I just came back in 2017. Uh, and when I began to look at the area that I was coming back to, my home area, and I noticed that not really that much had changed, um, I started really kind of asking those questions of why is it that this area refuses to advance? Why is it that this area is still the poorest in the country? Why is it this area um, still has one of the larger concentrations of homeless people? So yeah. as I started to ask those questions, I started to kind of realize, like, hey, it's because there's not a school here. Um, and the answer became pretty clear because, you know, having um, lived in this area all my life up until 25 and moving to Texas, um, you know, in five years, this area, or I, sh I should say the last decade, this area has increased in population by almost 40 Wow. And so when I came back, I was like, there's going to be a CSU, Rysolia, there's going to be, you know, all this great stuff. Um, and it was here. And so, mm -hmm. again, I started asking those questions and I decided, look, the last UC was built since I graduated high school. That's when it opened in 2005, 2006. Yeah. And um, we have built upward of two dozen or I think one of them, maybe somewhere around 20 prisons. Yes. In that amount of time, in that 13 years, we built 20 prisons somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's it's unconscionable for us to say that it's okay to keep building places to lock people up. But as far as schools go, we're going to do the bare minimum to keep it going, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to invest anymore. And so I frankly decided to reject that. I was like, look, if if anyone can um, make a mission, make an organization that is going to advocate for the people of Tulare County, it's someone in Tulare County Mm -hmm. um, who's not, you know, invested in, in anything other than helping the people. So that's why I started it. Excellent. Uh, oh, and as far as our, our goals, yeah. Uh, as far as our goals for the next two years, I don't mean to cut you off, but no, no, um, no. <laughs> we definitely are are trying to make sure that we are making the connections with the UC system. We're trying to make sure that we're doing as much as possible um, to garner all of the connections in the local area. And um, basically, when we have a you know a twelve year plan, uh, and we're trying to open the University of California, or get it, I should say, by twenty thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're definitely focusing on. Um, the stages of the plan. And so we're in the initial stage, but the next two years will take us into stage two. Uh, and we're going to begin fundraising. We're going to begin grant writing. We're going to definitely try to do as much good in the community as possible so that we can fundraise towards uh, buying our initial plot of land, which is about $2 million. So um, that's, that's our plan for the next two years. So that's kind of an interesting thought. So um, you're looking to buy land and then, so now you could come with a capital campaign to the UC system and say, we already have this land available to build on. But something to keep in mind at this point is that the state is only funding 8% of the UC budget right now. So we've gone from being almost fully funded by the state, uh, well, under Pat Brown, fully funded, to now where it's only 8%. So um, clearly... You know, I have my own internal beefs about that. I don't think that's right. I think we should be refinancing the UC system. We should be almost fully financed by the state. That is the entire point of having public education. And, um, you know, and it's not that we don't have the money. It's just that we have really screwed up priorities. I think if, you know, right, if we even took like 10% of the bloated defense budget and moved it into education in the country, it would make a huge difference. So, I, I just I don't buy that we don't have the money. I don't I don't buy it at all. And, you know, one of the problems we face um, we face with the UC financing currently is that there's two sides of the budget for the state. There's the mandatory spending and then there's the discretionary spending. Well, the UC budget, the Cal State budget together form the largest um, discretionary side of the budget. So whenever something gets axed, needs to get axed for something else, they automatically go to this particular line item because it's the largest one, I think. And part of the problem here is we've put ourselves in this position by passing so many propositions that have moved things from the discretionary side of the budget onto the mandatory side. So, you know, I feel like we're at a stage right now where we either fight fire with fire, meaning that we move the UCCS budget over to the mandatory side through a proposition like so many others have with other aspects um, of like the education system. Or, I, you know, I don't know, or we keep taking the hits. I feel like we're, we need to stop playing defense and start playing offense, so to speak. And I do think part of that will be increasing uh, the amount of UC schools and CS schools out there because we obviously need more campuses. Right, absolutely. And I think that you understand what happened with Merced. And so the process that went into Merced was they had come down with, um, I think it was a list of top five or top three. um, And two cities in my area in Tulare County were on the list. They were number two and number three. Mm -hmm. Um, And they ended up choosing Merced exclusively, to my knowledge, uh, pretty much exclusively on the fact that someone 
had the land already available. They went ahead and, and endowed it or donated it to the mm. UC Regents okay, and said, build a school here. Um, and that was the whole selling point because, um, again, we had two right schools on the list of, you know, top five. Um, if there were two schools in Tulare County, it would seem clear that, you know, hey, look, Tulare County is where it needs to go. Let's flip a coin and go between the two or whatever the case mm-hmm. might be. Um, but the fact was that Merced, someone in Merced had the power and had the land and we donated it. So our, our theory behind it is, look, if we can get together the grant writing, if we can start grant writing for right, right. this project and we can get together the capital, if they did it once, they'll do it. They'll do it again. And so it's funny because I said that same thing to my pastor and my pastor was like, actually, <laughs> they've done it twice because that's exactly how Irvine was built. You see, Irvine was built the same yeah. way. Wait, someone donated company. the land. Yeah, that's true. The Irvine Company. Exactly. Is sort of a- and so our our logic in our case has been, look, if he did it twice, then he'll do it three times. And, right, and right. there's no excuse for them not to. Um, 8% of the, the budget being funded by California um, is it's a disservice to the students of California. And, and as you said before, 9% of the kids from California have to be guaranteed um, in the top 10% of their high school classes have to be guaranteed, guaranteed uh, admission to a UC. Um, what happens when we run out of space? Because we're almost there. We're almost there. Um, and so our, our, whole, our whole mission is, look, let's go ahead and preempt that, get going on it now so that we can make sure that the school is open by 2030. And so that's what we've been doing. I, bravo. Yeah. No, and that's a really good point on the Irvine company. I um, actually graduated from UC Irvine with my undergrad degree. Um, so, so do you have like a space in mind? There is a lot of open space in that area. Have you been able to find a large enough um, chunk of land that's affordable that you have your eye on? Uh, yeah, so we've been looking at an area that's kind of, um, so the original plan or the original UC plan for UC Merced was between, uh, Porterville, Visalia, and Merced. Those were the three, top three. Um, and we've been kind of looking at Porterville, which was the number two. Um, there's a little town that's kind of outside of Porterville called Carabella, which means beautiful earth in Spanish. Um, and so we've been kind of looking at that area and, okay. and we found a plot of land. Um, and so we're, again, we're, we kind of have to keep things separate between, you know, nonprofit and our, and our, um, political conversations. But I can tell you that we do have a plan for where we want to put it and we are making arrangements to make that happen. So. Excellent. All right. Excellent. So the Central Valley, let's talk about this area for a moment. I, it's traditionally been a, a more conservative Republican stronghold in California. There's few of those. But it seems to me that that might be changing. And I don't think the reason it's changing is because the voters are latching on to sort of this dem-establishment neoliberal idealist. I think they're latching on to more of the progressive ideas, meaning Medicare for all, et cetera. Uh, do you see that change coming? And what are your thoughts on that? So, yeah, the Central Valley is adamantly Republican. Um, we're very, very Republican. And I'm in Tulare County. That's how you actually pronounce it. Um, and we, you know, we are one of the Republican strongholds in the state. And so um, to say that the area is changing is due to a lot of different things. So I think, number one, it's the influx of people from more expensive parts of California, like L.A. Um, I think that's one, one reason for sure. Uh, but I also think that um, people are kind of starting to catch on to the fact that Democrats and Republicans um, don't really represent them and don't really represent their interests. Um, And so I can tell you that personally, as an independent, I've had many conversations with what what most people would consider extreme right-wing Republicans, and I've never had one of them 
you know, completely shut out my ideas. I've never had one of them tell me that they don't want to hear what I have to say or call me any names or yes. anything like that. <laughs> Um, the Central Valley is Central Valley needs this. <laughs> we need to go ahead and make sure that we at least do this for that part of the state. And so bravo to him. Um, but as, as far as, you know, what the Central Valley looks like, it, you would probably think it's more similar to parts of the South in, in all honesty. Um, when I moved to Texas, people would tell me, what's it like coming from California to Texas? Yeah. And I'm like, it's pretty much the same as where I'm, you know, where I'm from. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, and that, that says a lot about how we form ideas about how people think based on where they're from. So. Right. No, that's true. You know, there's a lot of farm area out there. So it makes sense to me that there'd be a rural sort of crossover in that capacity. Um, I've, right. I want to talk a little bit about migrant workers for a second, because California has had an ongoing um issue with the way migrant workers have been treated, in my opinion. We've had, you know, many de- decades of activism. Absolutely. So, and obviously that's something that you've had firsthand experience with. Uh, recently, Dolores Huerta right. recently endorsed uh, Kamala, Kamala, let me say that again. <laughs> so, Dolores Huerta recently endorsed Kamala Harris for president. And I was really kind of shocked by this because I don't see how uh, Harris's platform, or I should say not even platform because she doesn't really have one on her website. She doesn't have a platform, girl. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but her, her No, I'm actually position. serious because it's been, let's, let's look at the clock. It's been, what, almost 30 days it's and there's still no nothing. platform on her website. Yeah, so I, I was really stunned that, that Dolores uh, did this given her track record as far as, I mean, she's prosecuted all kinds of, I mean, we can get into her record for hours, but... What do you think about that? Was it? Did you find that to be shocking, or or does this seem something like it's par for the course? Oh man, that that's a good question. And I actually tweeted about this last night. So if anyone wants to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at at JM for California. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I'm still a little bit shocked, but I'm also, I would say, I'm one third shocked, but two thirds unsurprised. Here's why: okay. um, there's five parts to this. Number one. My my grandmother marched with Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez um, back in the 70s. And, and my grandmother, I have talked with her about this several times. I'm not pulling Elizabeth Warren, so to speak. My grandmother marched with, with USW um, for their rights and for the rights of farm workers. And so um, my grandmother has always said the highest things about um, about Dolores Huerta. She's yeah. always said the, the nicest most positive things about how Dolores Huerta was a trailblazer, how she was, um, you know, someone who was really going to change things, shape things up. That's number one. Number two, Dolores Huerta has always been underlooked compared to Cesar Chavez. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the vision. She was most of, you know, the, the inner workings and the, um, the back end of things. That's my understanding. Um, so some points along the line, she appears to have lost her way. I'm not really sure. Um, I don't know exactly, you know, what has changed, so to speak, but I do know um, that her endorsing Kamala Harris over, you know, other more progressive candidates who honestly have agendas that are geared towards helping migrant communities, especially in California. Um, As you probably know, California, Texas, um, Arizona, New Mexico, those are the states where, you know, the most migrant comes to to work. Um, And so I guess... I don't know what to say about it, really. I think that Dolores Huerta, um, 
genuinely wants to be on the right side of uh, the Democratic Party. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, we learned that the Democratic Party okay. is not always on the right side of the people. That's, right. um, that's fairly evident by the actions that they've taken over the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's great that she has decided to endorse Kamala. And I'm going to go ahead and advocate for the person who I still have the most progressive agenda. Um, and I'm going to you know, continue our campaign against Kamala or for the seat she holds, um, regardless of what Dolores Whippa says. I mean, um, I, I would love to see Kamala get on board with something like we've proposed, which is um, we've proposed that, that the H-1B visa, which guarantees, or I should say offers visas for migrant workers to come to America, and many of them come to California, especially my area, to work on the farms, it offers that visa to them. Um, I don't think we should have an H-1B visa as long as our unemployment in the area that's asking for one, um, it's about 5%. And I think that's generous. Um, yeah. A lot of, you know, um, a lot of farm owners exploit immigrant workers. They exploit yes. them yeah. um, for their labor, for their cheap labor. Um, I saw a report last year that 80% of women have been sexually assaulted oh or molested God. or raped or, um, you know, approached by someone who's in management of their of the farm that they work at. And 80%. Why isn't wow. Kamala Harris leading on that? That's a criminal issue. She yeah. has the record of, of being a criminal justice advocate. Um, and so, I mean, your, your original question was, what do I think about Dolores yeah. I don't I don't know why she would do that. What I can tell you is that we're going to continue what we're doing regardless of what Dolores Huerta says. So. Right. And, you know, I think the other part of that conversation has to do a little bit about um, the, the internal aspects of identity politics. I mean, I've long argued that the communities of color and communities, period, are not monolithic. Each individual has agency in a community and no one group thinks entirely the same. I mean, assuming that that's the case is just really not intelligent. I so at some point, though, there's these weird crossovers that happen happen within inter- intersectional aspects of these things. Um, so what do you perceive to be the biggest problem with with uh, placing identity politics over everything else, which sometimes happens? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it actually happens very frequently. I mean, um, and, and speaking of intersectionality, I mean, I'm not definitely not running on this, but I'm a, you know, African-American black uh, gay male. Um, and so I definitely know what intersectionality yeah. looks like because a lot of the problems that happen to to the black community and to the Adolf community happen to, um, you know, LGBT community as well. The, the you know, perceived bigotry, the, um, the insensitivity towards the otherness who's definitely there. Um, yeah. The biggest problem, I think, with with us committing to someone purely because of their their gender or their sexuality or their race or whatever, um, is that we're not looking at the policy. Mm-hmm. Um, Kamala Harris looks great on, you know, the identity politics piece of paper, um, but her policy is non-existent. Yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, it's great that she's a woman. Um, I definitely can understand, or I shouldn't say I can understand, but I can definitely empathize with the struggle of women in this country because, frankly, America has an oppressive history towards women. That's fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I can definitely understand, or, or, you know, the, the struggle of, of a black woman in America as well, because I was raised by black women, but yeah, yeah. that does not mean that I, that I'm going to just straight up endorse her and say that she's great. She should, you know, be president because frankly, her history speaks to itself. When you look at her history as attorney general, when you look at her history as um, district attorney of San Francisco, she's done a, a terrible job of implementing policies 
that when she had the power to do so, she took the wrong position yeah. nine times out of ten. Yeah. Uh, and she wants to point to the to the you know the the low fruit and say, look, that, pay attention to that. Don't pay attention to anything else. Um, I'm a woman. I'm black. So don't attack me. And frankly, that's disingenuous. It's not only disingenuous; it's it's immoral because you have have a proven history of doing things that have hurt your community, and you need to own up to that. I mean, if you want to be president, that's fine, but you need to own up to the fact that you have done these things, um, and don't try to give us that um, magical revelation that you've had when you want to run for president that you're a progressive because we don't buy it. And that's my opinion. Yeah, no, that sounds pretty solid to me. And it's also reminding me of this past week she was on The Breakfast Club, uh, The Breakfast Club, The Morning Talk Show, I think is in Atlanta. Uh, talking about, yeah. yeah, so she was, she made this kind of off-color, weird remarks about inhale, smoking pot and, and <laughs> I inhale, right? So, Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay. Like and I, and I inhale. I didn't, I did inhale. It was a long time ago. I heard this and my first initial gut response was like, hold up. You smoked pot and inhaled while literally jailing in the state of California. How many people for doing that exact thing? Are you kidding me with this right now? And furthermore, she covered up. There was a, a drug testing site uh, that had wrong drug tests. And instead of dealing with that, she tried to cover up the scandal. There were people that were sent to jail on these wrong drug tests that were serving time. <clears throat> How is this person right. supposed to be at this point perceived as somebody that's fighting for criminal justice reform? I don't buy it. You know, that's not the, I mean, that's, that's just like the tip of the iceberg with her though. It's, it's, yeah. um, I mean, she's, there's a, a proven history of her again, doubling down on wrongful conviction. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the gentleman who was basically exonerated by the DNA test. They said, look, she didn't do it. The DNA test proves it. Um, and she continued to advocate for, for him to be imprisoned. And so, um, <laughs> you know, the Democrat tough on crime approach is just yeah. antithetical to what the Democratic Party is supposed to be about. They're supposed to be about the people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were the, pe the, the party of FDR, the party of, of right. um, you know, of Roosevelt. Um, they were the party of change, drastic change that was needed. And and again, somewhere along the way, they lost their way. Somewhere along this path, they decided that it's better to be on behalf of the corporations um, and ally against the people. And there's no better example than Kamala Harris. She um, cited again, time and time again, against the interests of the people of California. Um, she could have been a leading voice on, on, you know, legalizing marijuana. Instead, I, I want to see her office basically took no position on it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they didn't really leave the thing on that. She instead was, was locking up brown and black people for That's that right. crime. That's right. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of hypocrisy there. There's a lot of, um, you know, pandering that's going on. Um, in fact, you were talking about it a, a few minutes ago, but, you know, someone, one of her, you know, staffers posted a picture of her pouring hot sauce on the <laughs> chicken. Um, and that, that to me, that is literally what the Democratic Party thinks is going to win oh, the black vote. Yeah. And as we've seen from the Adolf oh, movement and right. from, um, people who are demanding, look, it's enough is enough. We've had eight years of Obama. He didn't do anything for our community. He made our community worse. If you want to win our vote, 
you need to go ahead and come up with an agenda and implement that agenda. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's, it, I, I, I guess the picture to me is so funny because it, it demonstrates that the Democratic Party has not learned anything yeah. from 2016. They haven't learned anything. Um, they think that the same playbook that Hillary Clinton used can work again. And it's not. It didn't work the first time. Why would it work the second? So. I entirely concur with that feeling. Um, you brought up the ADOS movement. Let's talk about that for a second, because I've been watching this hashtag um, for a few months now, because I I uh, think it's really important stuff that's being discussed there. So just for the uh, listeners, so they understand what we're talking about, ADOS is A-D-O-S. The hashtag is A-D-O-S. stands for American De- uh, American Descendants of Slaves. So this is um, obviously what that is. It's, it's folks talking about what can be done as far as uh, wealth inequality and a whole host of other things. And, you know, I believe in reparations. I understand that there's, you know, this is it's a sticky situation deciding who gets them, whatever. But I think we can work that stuff out. But I think what to speak to yeah. what you're saying is that the these ADOS folks have really been dragging Kamala on her record because they're really clear on what that record is. They're really clear that she did not, she went into the AG position and I voted for her uh, for attorney general when she ran. I did not vote for her for Senate though, because I was so completely disgusted by her AG tenure. It was terrible. I mean, look, this is somebody that that quite literally defended involuntary servitude because she didn't want her labor pool to be affected. I mean, that's just so immoral. And perverse. That valuable labor pool, right? It's disgusting. (laughs) Go on, sorry. No, but you're right. You're right, JM. And, you know, I I remember her after she started getting some slack on this. She came out and said that she didn't know that her staff was doing this. And I'm calling bullshit on that right now. I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second. You're going to tell me. Yeah, you're going to tell me that you didn't know what your staff was doing in regards to a SCOTUS decision? They were basically telling you that your jails were overcrowded and in violation of the Constitution. I'm not buying it. And if you didn't know, you should have known. I am sorry. That is inexcusable on either side. So, um, uh, right? Preach. Um, so, my. <laughs> So where where you're you're speaking to my fear right now because <laughs> I mean I'm I'm lining up my response so please continue. You're like good. I don't know. Actually, let's hear your response because I'm I'm wanting to um have a discussion about the ADOS movement and I haven't had anybody on the podcast yet that could speak to this and I think it's a really I think it's a really important movement. I think it's growing uh, day by day and I think that this is a group of activists that have pretty much said enough of the pandering. We want real policy change and we want you folks to stop telling us how we're supposed to feel about where we are at as a, as a community. Is that sort of how you would phrase it? Yeah, I mean, I think ADOS has really been born. And I, I mean, I, I'm i going to be honest with you. I didn't yeah. really learn about ADOS until maybe about six months ago. Yeah. Um, and that's when probably when the hashtag started trending. And yeah. I started seeing more and more people speaking about this. And so um, I remember, you know, seeing reports from the UN, um, maybe I think it was 2013, maybe a little bit after. Um, but the UN has, has pretty much said, you know, look, Slavery was terrible. The U.S. has not dealt with the, the scars that have been left by slavery. Right. In fact, the U.S. has perpetuated not only an economic system, but a That's judicial right. system right. that still perpetuates that slavery. Um, and if you want to fix it, which you should, um, then steps need to be taken. And so um, you mentioned reparations. So, yeah, I do I do advocate for reparations. I think Marianne Williams said I want to say her name uh-huh. Um She's one of the overlooked contenders for the Democratic nomination, but she's the only Democrat that I've seen 
um, openly call for for reparation. I think she's a- the same psychological and emotional and spiritual forces that prevail within the journey of an individual prevail within the journey of a nation, because all that a nation is is a collection of individuals. So if you're clued in as to what changes one life, you're clued in as to what changes the world. And what we know is that in order to transform a life, you can't just change things on the outside. You have to change things on the inside, too. And among other things, you have to be very clear, brutally honest with yourself about your character defects. You have to be willing to atone, and you have to be willing to make amends, and you have to be willing to change. It's time for the United States to do the same in some areas where we have character defects as a nation, in areas where we have not lived, either in the past or in the present, as who we say that we are. We have not lived and we are not living on the principles on which we purport to stand. One of these areas is the issue of race. Now, we had slavery in the United States, obviously. We abolished slavery. But at the end of the Civil War in 1865, even though 40 acres and a mule was promised by General Sherman to every formerly enslaved person, in most cases, that acreage and that mule were not given, and even in the cases where they were, in most cases, they were then taken away. What that means is that full economic integration into the new condition of freedom was never achieved. In fact, quite the opposite. Throughout the American South, black code laws were passed, which were to ensure the subjugation of the formerly enslaved population. John Birch Society, Ku Klux Klan, lynchings, the institutionalization of white supremacy and segregation. And those horrors that next phase of violence against black people in America was not fundamentally addressed until the 1960s and the civil rights movement. And once again, was, was progress achieved? Yes, progress was achieved. But we have not finished the job of full reconciliation. Not only that, in many ways we have slid backwards. We have actually chipped away at the Voting Rights Act. Mass incarceration is a horrifying example of an institutionalized racial discrimination in criminal sentencing. We have a problem in our times, and we need to address this problem, not just in incremental ways, but in fundamental ways. I propose a plan for reparations for slavery. Just as the German nation has paid $89 billion in reparations to Jewish organizations since World War II, and just as the United States has paid $20,000 in reparations to descendants of those who were in Japanese internment camps during World War II, I propose a $100 billion plan of reparations to be paid over 10 years. I submit that we should choose a council of esteemed African-American leaders who were given over a 10-year period $10 billion a year And this money should be dispersed as they deem most appropriate in order for economic and educational revitalization to be achieved within the black community. It's time. It's time for a fundamental effort. It's time for us to do for future generations what other generations have done for us, to rise to the occasion in our time and make the kind of significant progress that will ensure that to the best of our ability, Ancient wrongs will be addressed, and new possibilities, new fairness, new liberty, new justice, which in this case, in many cases, was never fully achieved, shall be achieved in our time. But she's the only Democrat that I've seen um, openly call for, for reparations. I think she said $150 billion or somewhere around there. 
Yeah, so the UN has said for for many years, the original report, I want to say 2013, somewhere around there, yeah. um, but they basically said flat out, look, the U.S. needs to pay reparations to the descendants of slaves, period. Um, and if you look back in history, I'm a history buff, and so if you look back in history, um, when Germany lost World War One, they had to pay reparations right. for the wrongs that they committed. Um, right. Of course, that's a whole other subject, but when you look back in history, there are many times where People who committed, you know, savage acts, really, slavery was a savage, incremental, or not incremental, but systemic injustice that was committed against my people. Right. Um, and to, you know, to, to try to gloss over that and to say, look, black people just need to get over slavery. I love that, that graphic that shows um, just how long slavery happened. And then we have the Jim Crow laws, That's and then right. we have segregation, and then we have the present day. I mean, my grandmother was alive when. Um, people in, you know, certain states, especially Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, of different races couldn't get married. We still have yeah. people alive that remember what it's like for That's people right. to, to drink at separate drinking fountains. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're still dealing with the impact from slavery. And so I think, I don't want to speak for the ADOS movement as a whole, but what I definitely think that the objective would be for ADOS is to right the wrongs that have been committed historically against African-Americans, and that's that's the thing. And so you mentioned um, that reparations could be applied lots of different ways. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily advocate for giving, you know, black people a check here, you know, the money that for what we did that was wrong. Instead, why don't we invest that in black communities? Um, why don't we invest that in black-owned businesses? Why don't we invest that in um, lots of different solutions? There's lots of room to go either way, but we do have to come to the agreement that, look, there needs to be reparations. If we can give billionaires, um, people who don't need money, if we can give them a tax cut, um, then we can certainly come up with the money to right our wrongs. And that's mm-hmm. what America's about, I think. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think a lot of folks really need to understand that slavery, Jim Crow, not only are these systems of oppression, they are also 100% economic systems. And that, to me, says everything that you need to know about reparations. All of these folks benefited financially from the free labor and from the legacy wealth associated from that original free labor. So to say that that we should not do anything to correct that wrong is fundamentally wrong in, in on every level. So I've often, um, I've gotten a lot of arguments over this. I believe in reparations. I think we need to do it and it needs to happen. And I don't think that is even remotely a controversial stance. Um, so why do you think, um, on that note, why do you think the ADOS folks are dragging um, Kamala Harris so badly? What are their main beefs with her? I think a lot of it has to do with Barack Obama, quite honestly. Oh, um, okay. If you look at Barack Obama, he was, was the hope and the dream of the slave, right? He was the fulfillment of um, what it meant to be a black man in America and to rise above the obstacles that be that had been put in front of you. Yeah. Um, I mean, remember they were calling Obama a Muslim, they were calling yeah, Obama yeah. a socialist, they were calling Obama all of these different things. Um, and he kind of rose above it, and he sees the White House 
when, mm. you know, some people doubted that he would be able to do it. And I remember my grandfather, I think at one point told me, and my grandfather's white, he was in Idaho, but he's by no means a racist or anything like that. But I remember him telling me, I just don't see it for America. I don't see America putting aside its past. Mm-hmm. to elect a black man. He, yeah. he flat out said it. He didn't think it was possible. Um, and so I think, you know, when Obama was elected and he came in with this hope and this dream and this change and all of these things, um, you know, black people, they supported him upwards of 90% in the primary, probably 90% in the general too. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of us really believed, look, finally, one of us is there. Yeah. Um, enough to separate, you know, it's to separate people, but one of us was finally there. He has the power to do all of these things, these wonderful things that are going to help not just our community, but all communities in America. Yeah. And quite frankly, he landed on a state. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he decided to take the minimal action. He decided to um, seek consensus instead of exercising the authority and the mandate that he'd been given. Um, And if you look back, of course, in 2010, the Republicans, you know, seized control of Congress. But before that, the Democrats had a supermajority in the Senate. They had nearly a supermajority in the House. They could have passed any law, any law that they wanted. The only people that could have stopped them, the only body that could have stopped them, is the Supreme Court. And that would have been a a long shot. Um, And the Democrats chose to say, look, we're going to do like just a couple of things, halfway measures, and we're going to pretend like it's this great increment or this great drastic change, but really it was incrementalism. Um, and right. so I think a lot of ADOS, ADOS's frustration goes back to Obama. It goes back to him um, okay. kind of kind of taking the route of, look, I'm going to go ahead and, and basically bow down to Republicans when he was the president. Um, you know, the whole thing with Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland, that was a whole issue in itself right. where Obama could have, could have really taken a stand, but he yeah. didn't want to. Um, and so Adolf, again, I don't want to speak for the whole movement, but I think a lot of the Adolf supporters are set up with people pretending like hot sauce is enough. Mm-hmm. Hot sauce isn't enough anymore for our communities. It's not enough for not only black communities, but it's, right. it's also not enough for a lot of other communities too. So, right. and that's my opinion. It's a, it's a solid one. <laughs> you really, you're right because hot sauce does not stand for policy. Can we just do a meme on that, please? <laughs> so ridiculous. So um, I've been oh my watching. God. Yes. I've been watching uh, Killer Mike Killer Mike's uh, show on Netflix. I actually, binge watched it twice now because it's so good. Um, trigger trigger warnings. Anything that doesn't help black people needs to be burned the fuck down now. You may know me as Killer Mike. I'm a Grammy Award winning rapper and my ideas are often controversial. The greatest hindrance that black people have is white Jesus. I want to see a black savior. I hear you loud and clear. This... Will you lead my religion? You ain't gonna get me struck by lightning. I'm trying to introduce people to new thoughts and concepts. Killer Mike! I want to know how difficult it is to truly live in the black economy. No racism, but you're Asian. And I'm only spending money in the black community for the next three days, so you ain't black. I can go buy a Hell's Angel t-shirt. What if the Crips have a soda? The symbol feels a little bit more corporate. Yeah. No, I haven't worked with a gang before. This is a first time for everything. There's simply no room for independent free thinkers anymore. It's time we started fresh. I would like to deem this place New Africa. Yeah.
I need to produce educational pornography. Balls to the wall, put your nuts on the table. We can show the rest of the world that there's a brand new way and a brand new day. A kid was super mean to me. Word? Yeah, he said you're not like everybody else. You're one of Earth's original people. Hold on, man. Because if you jumped in front of him right now and I was telling him to be proud to be black, that'd be like the first lesson in white privilege he learns. And we don't want to oppress people right now. You got me? Word. Give it to me. Oh, that's an ally. The first episode, he talks about this this idea that you're sort of getting at with um, the economics within the black community. And he makes this plea at the end of the episode to to his white allies that for something that he's calling Black Friday, hashtag Black Friday. And by Black Friday, he doesn't mean the after Christmas or the pre-Christmas after Thanksgiving sales where people are trampling each other. What he's what he's referencing. Oh, God. <laughs> What he's referencing is capitalism at its finest. True story. Um, happy holidays, like running over someone I to know. get a thirty-inch TV for a hundred dollars. I'm just like, saying. That's exactly it. The discounts aren't even worth it. It's just people are crazy, and they're getting up at two a.m. on top of it. It's just insane. Um. Anyway, but his idea of Black Friday right. is that you support a black-owned business on a Friday, so go out of your way to shop and buy from a black-owned business, and that would uh, inherently help the community. Uh. So. I decided after watching this, I'm like, you know, he has a point. And I have to tell you, it's really hard to find Black-owned businesses, even in Los Angeles. Yes, I was just thinking that. Go on, please, go on. (laughs) Which is really unfortunate when you think about it. Um, And it's not this idea that Black-owned businesses only service Black people. That's that's totally ridiculous and, and not what the point is. The point is, is is recirculating within the community, uh, you know, like he does this graph about how money circulates through the white community, circulates through the Jewish community, et cetera, and, and how quickly it stays in the community before it leaves. Um, and the, the, in the black community was like less than a, a couple hours or something. It was really um, a low number compared to it. And then he also talks about how, you know, there was a time during Jim Crow where that wasn't the case only because black folks had no options. So, which is a really bad reason for that to not be the case. But it's still interesting to see how that changed post, um, post, you know, well, I don't know that we're post, actually. I think there's still some of that going on. But having said that, so I, I've been looking into this and I found a couple of websites where you can go and they list for you. You know, these are all the Black-owned businesses. And it's 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 a tough thing to uh, to do, but it's worthwhile. Is this um, something that you think is, is a good idea? Is this a movement that you think could actually grow and have some teeth? So that's, I mean, that's a fantastic observation. So what I can tell you is that my mother, uh, my mother is a black woman, right? And yeah. um, she owned a business with my stepfather here in California um, before moving to Texas. And she opened another business in Texas. Um, and the amount of people that I saw with a look of shock on their face when my mother would tell them that she was the owner, um, oh, right. I, I can't even describe how many people would look at her like, you're the owner? Nah. Like, it was like a unicorn, right? It was like seeing a modern-day unicorn. Uh, And so that's that's one observation. The second thing I have to say is that, yeah, you're you're completely right that Black-owned businesses are virtually non-existent. Um, uh, If if racism is not systemic, 
if the opportunities for black people are just as great as the opportunities for oh, all other people. Yeah. Um, and that's not to discount the struggles of, of Asian Americans, not to discount the struggles of, you know, Latin Americans. Um, but if our opportunities are just as great as everyone else's, then why do we not see that reflected in businesses? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, can't, I, I'm thinking right now, and I live in Visalia, a town of 145,000 people, give or take. I don't know if people black own business in my entire city. I don't. I cannot think of one. And I try to go to different places, but I can't think of one blackout business in this entire city. Um, And there are a lot of places throughout the country where that's the same case. Um, And so um, I I definitely love the the Buy Black movement online. I don't know if you've seen that one, but the hashtag hashtag Buy Black. Um, That's a great resource. Um, And you're right. It is difficult because you have to, you have to trade in your, you know, head and shoulders or your Pantene Pro-V for a a different product um, that you might be uncertain if this is going to wash your hair the same and make you really like your shampoo. Right. But it might be better better, though. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And what we've, we've also seen is a lot of, you know, Black business owners, thankfully, I think are stepping up and trying to support a lot of other um, Black business owners. I know that there's a group in Fresno, California, which is the nearest major city to me. Um, there's a group there that's basically like the Black Wall Street, so to speak, and they're all committed to helping Black-owned businesses um, support each other and helping them to to thrive and to be successful. Uh, and so I, I don't advocate by any means that that the black community should place all of our, um, our angst and our, um, economic woes on the shoulders of white people. I think it's going to take also us standing up for one another and saying, look, we need to take care of each other. Um, it's going to take a lot of intersectionality and coalition building, like you mentioned with, with other communities to say, look, we're all getting screwed right now. Um, let's stand up together and help all of us thrive. And sometimes that means that you need to do a little bit of research. Sometimes that means you don't need to go with the, the most convenient option, but you need to go with the best option to make that change. And we have that power. We do have yeah. that power. We No, we absolutely have that power. And I've been um, saying this for a long time. Whether we like it or not, we live in a capitalist society. So your strongest way of voting is with your dollar. You know, it's like if you don't like what Amazon yeah. is doing, stop buying shit on Amazon. It's really like you're you are feeding that monster by shopping on Amazon. If, if you have a problem with what they're doing, don't shop on there. So there are things we can be doing. Anyway, I think it's a very interesting movement. And I've been, you know, for a long time when I, for example, when I look online to buy things, I um, I don't go to Amazon. I Google whatever, or I don't even Google, I duck, duck, go, whatever it is that I'm looking for. And I try to find it on other websites. And I'm telling you right now, folks, it might be a few more steps, but you will find it at a comparable, uh, comparable price somewhere else. And you'll be supporting a smaller business. So um, something we need to look at as as progressive activists is is what we're doing with our money, and I you know really applaud Killer Mike for making, yes. for making that case because I think it's a good one. Allies should be doing this. Um, so and that's what Buy Black really advocated for. Yeah. I mean, that was their whole uh, was their whole pitch originally, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, I, and I'll have to find the documentary, but I saw a wonderful um, documentary probably about three four years ago, maybe a little bit longer, uh-huh. when this whole movement first started. Okay. Um, and it was, you know, it made the case of, look, a lot of these companies are perpetuating racist policies. Yeah. Um, look at what happened with Starbucks. Look at what exactly. happened with, um, you know, the list goes on and on. We have all of these cases of um, companies doing things that are harming the black community. And um, the case was being made that basically, look, 
All of these other communities understand their purchasing power. Yeah. All of these other communities understand that they have a purchasing power. And if someone does something they don't like, guess what? It's for the community and they no longer um, teacher in that establishment. And so um, I, I, I really enjoy seeing the black community saying, look, we're not going to shop places um, that don't support our community. Um, and, and really, I would love to evolve into a, a humanist thing, right? I yeah, know that we have yeah. many miles to go before that happens, but I really like to see a human approach to it and yeah. evolve to where, look, they're doing this to any human being, and I'm not going to support that. And Amazon's a great case for that. I don't yeah. have Amazon Prime anymore. I canceled my membership. Right. Um, you know, when it became pretty apparent that Jeff Bezos is, you know, one of the worst people yes. on earth um, and the richest, it became pretty apparent to me that, look, Amazon is not something I support. And I'll tell you, I paid, gosh, like $20 for a phone charger the other day that I could have bought on Amazon for 10 but I sleep at night. Um, and so, and, and to me, that makes all the difference knowing that I'm not supporting that. I'm not, um, as Jimmy Dore would say, we're not buying into that show, right? We're not playing that game. So playing that game. Totally. You know what I mean? Bernie Sanders made the point a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, which I thought was great was that if you have an Amazon prime, uh, membership, you've now paid more in taxes. You pay more for your membership than they paid in taxes last year. Put your head around that for a second. Oh, and it's true though it's like ridiculous these guys get away with murder and now they're all crying about you know the new york deal which i'm glad the city of new york did this i'm glad the people rose up against that you know and and and, you know the cnbc commentators that are saying oh you just made a dumb remark i'm like really we're all supposed to fight for bezos helipad because of poor people do you hear yourselves bullshit he can afford (laughs) it's high time these corporations started paying their own way and Journalist David Sirota voiced outrage on Twitter over the fact that according to an agreement between Amazon and New York's Urban Development Corporation, city taxpayers will fund a helipad for CEO Jeff Bezos. While tech reporter Benjamin Freed highlighted that Virginia's deal with Amazon stipulates it, quote, will give the company written notice about any FOIA requests to allow the company to seek a protective order or other appropriate remedy. Paul Blumenthal of the Huffington Post added, quote, love how Virginia's pitch for Amazon included this section on doing corruption, noting the Commonwealth touted Crystal City's strategic location near the government and regulators as well as think tanks. The document reads, quote, as Amazon is poised to drive its business in a number of areas that will require complex federal regulatory oversight, proximity to key stakeholders, including the Federal Aviation Administration, the Federal Trade Commission, the Federal Communications Commission, the Food and Drug Administration, and congressional committee leadership will prove vital. With Amazon in question, I spoke earlier today with co-founder of Democracy at Work and professor of economics and international affairs, Richard Wolf. Professor Wolf, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, as you just heard, says Amazon will open doors even for residents in New York who live in public housing. Is he telling the truth? I don't think so, and I'm very, very disappointed in Mayor de Blasio. I didn't expect much from uh, Governor Cuomo, but I had always hoped that de Blasio was something better. This is a shocking display. What they're calling a government-private partnership is nothing of the sort. It's a public subsidy to Amazon. The New York Times reported $5 billion in this project will be invested by Amazon. 
five and a half billion dollars will be invested by New York and Virginia. That is a subsidy of more than 50% of the cost of this project. We, the taxpayers, will be either paying higher taxes to fund this private company among the richest in the world, or if we don't get our taxes raised, the government will deliver fewer services to us because it has given this enormous subsidy to a company. Five billion dollars from Virginia and New York, where Mr. Bezos, the owner of Amazon, is himself the owner of $160 billion. He didn't need it. The company doesn't need it. We are being asked to subsidize. All of the profits will go to the private companies and their shareholders. We, the public, will be funding more than half of this project. Shame is what Mr. de Blasio ought to feel, rather than posing in the PR as if he has delivered something. Last point. The projected number of long-term jobs in the New York area from this is 2,500. That's a very small number and will have no effect on the unemployment problem of this city. It's just too small. So, uh, hey man, yeah, right? I, I, I mean, again, I lived in San Antonio during the, the whole HQ, you know, when it first started, when, when Bezos and yeah. Amazon announced they were looking for another home, yeah. and San Antonio was quick to be like, we'll take it, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we can move things around, we'll completely, you know, uh, readjust our city plan for the next <laughs> 20 years to make sure that we accommodate Amazon to be right here, um, and there were countless cities that did the same thing, and so... Right. Um, as far as the New York thing, I mean, shout out to Namiki Kong, who yes. is up for election. I want to say the election is coming up on Tuesday, maybe. Yeah. Um, shout out to her for standing up and for saying, look, you know, Amazon is a, is basically a scam. Scamazon, right? Hashtag Scamazon. Because um, <laughs> you're right. You're you're right. Amazon needs to pay its fair, fair wages for employees. Um, I mean, it took Bernie Sanders basically telling Jeff Bezos, look, dude. We're going to call you out. You need to pay $15 an hour, period. For him to finally say, I guess I don't need that many billions. I guess I really don't need that many billions. You can go ahead and pay, you know, $15 so that my my workers can continue to live paycheck to paycheck. Because let's be honest, $15 an hour is not going to going to cut it. I mean, it's a great start, but I'm personally advocating for 22. Um, in our campaign, we are, we're shooting for 22. I know Namiki is uh, shooting for, 30. um, I want to say 30 an hour in, in New York City. And so, um, there's a lot of places in this country where $15 an hour will not do it. The only state that I can think of off the top of my head that it will is Arkansas. Or you yeah. anywhere in Arkansas for 15. Um, but most, most of the other 49, they're, you're never going to be able to cut it on those wages. And so, uh, I mean, that's right. the original point. There's so much that we can do as a people to enact change. There is a lot of power in the purse, right? The power of the purse. And so we have to stop going to these places, even though it's convenient. We have to um, demand and advocate for change and vote for candidates who are going to deliver that change, not, you know, pull out a bottle of hot sauce and pretend like it's change. We need actual people who are committed to saying, look, enough's enough, um, and, and making that path for us. Amen. I totally agree with that. Um, so let's talk about, speaking of, let's also talk about the APAC controversy that was making headlines this uh, past week. Uh-huh. Because you can't tell me, you know, I've, I've had the conversations about, you know, 
why APAC is a foreign lobby group, why they're not, they're not anti, uh, it's not anti-Semitic to, to call them out for being that there. It's all, it is all about the money and what they can do to influence Congress and the bot Congress. But I think the other aspect of that, which I'd like to discuss with you is the fact that uh, I think race absolutely played a, a, played a card in this because I think Elon Omar, I mean, she's, she's a refugee from Somalia. She's Muslim. I mean, we can go down the list, but I think she's an easy target for these assholes because of those reasons. And I don't, you know, I have a lot of, like Nancy Pelosi, I'm just beyond disgusted with at this point. And um, I was happy to finally see some of the other folks defending Elon last week. But I I do believe that that race played a factor in that, meaning that making her an easier target for these guys to say that, she, you know, to just completely discount her point what uh, entirely. And also with the um, Elliot Abrams thing, I mean, she really took him to task during uh, his uh, confirmation hearings for the whole situation with Venezuela. She brought up his his, geno- his genocide in Guatemala, and all of this is factually documented. In fact, the UN prosecuted the guy that Mott, that they supported there. Mr. Adams, in 1991, you pleaded guilty to two counts of withholding information from Congress regarding your involvement in the Iran Cortra affair, for which you were later pardoned by President George H.W. Bush. I fail to understand uh, why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give uh, today to be truthful. If I can respond to that, uh, um, it wasn't a question. I, it On was an Feb- that was it not was that was attack. not a question. That was the, I per, I reserve per, the right I'm, to my time. It is not it is not right. That was Remember not a question. Can attack On February eighth, who is not permitted to reply? That that was not a question. Thank you for your participation. From the day that President Duarte was elected in a free election to this day. El Salvador has been a democracy. That's a fabulous achievement. Yes, sir, no. Do you think that massacre was a fabulous achievement that happened under our watch? That is a ridiculous question. and I Yes will not or no? No. I, I sorry, will, t- I will take that I'm, as a yes. I am not going to respond to that kind of personal attack, which is not a question. Will you make sure that human rights are not violated and that we uphold international and human rights? I suppose there is a question in there and the answer is that the entire thrust of American policy in Venezuela is to support the Venezuelan people's effort to restore democracy to their country. That's our policy. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh man, I mean this whole this whole quote unquote controversy um with with Congresswoman Omar is so just to me it boggles my mind. Um so first let's look at how people talk about when you when you um come for Hillary Clinton in any way. How could you? Yes. You're sexist. I oh my gosh. You cannot <laughs> insult the first woman you know, major nominee. Will we come for Nancy Pelosi? Oh, how could she? She's the first woman speaker of the house. She's brilliant. She's a great negotiator. How could she? Right? And so why does that not translate 
to Ilan Omar. But yeah. Paul, I mean, you said it already, right? I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. more about race. It's more about um, her her religion um, than anything. I mean, look at the, the vile things that have been said about her. Yeah. Um, some of which are the same about Barack Obama, right? That she, yeah. You know, I mean, in her case, she is Muslim, but I mean, some of the stuff that has been said about her is just outrageous. Um, and for the Democratic Party to turn on her, um, because literally they did that, they turned on her and they cannibalized her. her. I, I mean, look at Chelsea Clinton. Look at, like, oh, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea Clinton, Clinton okay, you know, stuck her foot in her mouth, basically. Um, and thankfully, a lot of people were not having it oh. from her or her mother anymore. Um, yeah. But I mean, there's so much, so much wrong with what happened with, with Congresswoman Omar. Um, she literally told the truth. Yeah. One person asked her for clarification. She one clarified what AMAC, she meant, APAC. which is the she truth. She said one word, APAC. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, and I don't think that she is um, an anti-Semite by any means, because either. if that were the case, then she would probably, I mean, and this might be off color, but um, she would probably still be in Somalia trying to figure out how to bomb Jewish people. Um, I mean, that's what, that is what is happening in a lot of, you know, in a lot of um, the Middle Eastern and um, North African parts of, parts of the world. That, that's what's happening. Um, she instead came to this country, decided that she was going to, you know, her family decided she was going to come here. Um, she decided to run for Congress. She won her seat by handily, handily majority. Um, and she has decided that she's going to be the, uh, a beacon for us. And I don't agree with everything she's done. I don't like her vote on Pedro. But what right. I can tell you is that she could have turned out a lot worse. And for people to be attacking her for speaking the truth to me indicates a lot about our political system. And the fact that the Democrats are, are stabbing her in the back, I mean, I can deal with a Republican any day of the week. I can sit down and talk with a Republican or Trump supporter or Tea Party or whatever you want to call them any day of the week. What I cannot do is entertain this idiocy and this um, this basically um, deceitism, right? Because it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like Democrats are okay with, with just being deceived, um, as long as they get to do it somewhat on their own terms. And, and I reject right. that. And I hope that, I wish that she wouldn't apologize. I wish that she would have stood by what she said. Um, I wish that she would have taken the firm stance of, I said what I said, and it's the truth. Um, yeah. And, you know, I guess my, my whole thing on it is, I'm really sad that if this is what our country has come to, um, this is how we treat people who voice an opinion that's outside um, of the accepted, you know, to offer the opinion. Um, yeah. And we see it with the anti-war vote as well, with the anti-war voices. Look at how they're treating Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. Um, no one is saying it's going to Tulsi on the mainstream media, but her opinion is outside of what the That's Overton right. window, as people would say, is acceptable, right? Because yeah. she's so far outside of what is acceptable um, that they would rather smear her and cannibalize her than, than actually listen to what she's saying. And it's a shame. It's really a shame. It, it is. And I think it's entirely driven by the the economics of the plutonomy. So, you know, Nancy Pelosi and a lot of these other voices, they're absolutely part of the plutonomy. So this is basically power and money structures preserving power and money structures. And what Tulsi and uh, Omar are doing is contradicting and criticizing with valid criticism the power money structures that are in place here in the United States. I think, um, and you know, I hear what you're saying on the apology. I agree with you. I wish she hadn't apologized. Although I will say I sort of appreciated the way she framed it as, I'm sorry I hurt the feelings of some of my Jewish allies, but I'm still sticking to what I'm saying. APAC is a problem. They are a lobbyist group. So it was sort of like, 
it was sort of a little bit in the middle there, but um, I think she was probably forced into this. And I, and let's, can we talk about Chelsea Clinton for a second? Because what she said. Oh God. Yeah. Let's talk about Chelsea. What she said, this is what I'm talking. Okay. So this is the sort of um, uh, embedded, but not in your face kind of racism that, that is uh, coming from like white feminists and Democrats. It's this, she said to, uh, to Omar that, as an American, like, I don't care what came the fuck after as an American, but the fact that she chose <laughs> to come from that position while she was talking to a Somalia refugee who sits in our Congress was so fucking disgusting to me. I read that and I was like, yep. that is your mom calling the firewall a firewall right now. And if you do not see why that's racist, you need to just just take 20 seats and start listening to people because it's really fucked up. Well, it echoed her mom's, you know, super predator comments, right? It it all comes back to how um, she was raised. And let's let's be honest, Chelsea Clinton was in the White House at, what, 12? Um, She was in the White House. Uh, Her father before that, Bill Clinton, was the governor of Arkansas for two non-consecutive terms. So she has always inhabited a sphere sphere of influence and of power. Um, She has been privileged in growing up. Um, and I, and I, I get a crack out of, you know, these, these white liberal women yeah. who are privileged to have money, who have influence, um, that are pointing at the wrong problem. That's um, right. Deborah Messing is a great fucking example of that. Like, Deborah yes. Messing will oh, shout all day about Russia. Um, <laughs> but I've never seen a fucking tweet from that lady about how Medicare for All would help, um, you know, the LGBT yeah. community that, you know, loves her, that, that has, um, watched her since I was fucking kidding. Yeah. Um, I've never seen her tweet about how Medicare for All would help the LGBT community, um, to get HIV testing or pay for, you know, PrEP or pay for, uh, antiretroviral. Right. Um, I've never seen a single fucking thing from her on that, but I've seen dozens and yes. hundreds, really, of Russia tweets. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I mean, as far as Chelsea goes, she's the same, the same kind of woman to me. Yeah. Um, she, you know, kind of piped off at the mouth and, and said, "Look, uh, Elon Musk as an American, blah blah blah." And it, oh, it was very yeah, disrespectful. Yeah. Just, um, you know, it was so so hurtful to me oof. that she decided to insert herself on a conversation where she wasn't really welcome. And then, of course, you have her supporters that are saying, "Well, she's married to a Jewish, you know, guy, and so that's okay." Um, and I'm no, like, it's "No, good. it's really not, though." It's so, really not okay. Me, um, regardless can I point something of that, out, Jam? Um, it's not okay. Can I point something out though? Because yeah. I think I think people need yeah, to understand the difference in this. The same thing with racist race issues. It's one thing for you to have an opinion <clears throat> on what's going on. It's an entirely different thing for you to tell the person that is the object of whatever, whether it's anti-Semitism or racism, how they're supposed to feel about being an object inherent <laughs> in that. Because you don't fucking know and you don't get to tell them. You might have an opinion on the matter of of facts, like, well, maybe you shouldn't have done this or that, or maybe this is the problem. But that's not the same thing. And that's what these white liberals do. They try to tell people of color or or Jewish folks how they're supposed to feel about the systems that oppress them. And it's this is an emo and then if they say my my next favorite response that I see is always, well, you're being emotional. Well, fuck you. Yeah, of course. You think you think that the conversation about racism isn't going to be about emotion? Oh, come on. Like, seriously. End of race. No, absolutely. <laughs> and again, I think that, you know, this is part of the Clinton DNA, so to speak. I mean, um, Bill Clinton was 
you know, they, they joke about him, or not joke, but they, they call him the first black president, oh, right? Quote, unquote. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Clinton did a lot of a lot of things that hurt the black community. Yes. I mean, welfare reform uh, was was not a good thing. It was not a good fit for, for the community. The whole the crime bill of 1993, I want to say. Yeah. Um, that was Bill Clinton. He signed this, you know? Um, and so... And of course, as I said, Hillary Clinton once at one point referred to people that look a lot like me um, as super predators. You know, she yeah. kind of used that these people language. Um, and it's the same language that Chelsea Clinton is using, right? I'm an American, which means that people who are staying different than me are not American or they're other. And so there's that other of that attack. Um, yeah. and it, was, it was very shady. Uh, but yeah. I will applaud. Uh, Congresswoman Omar for taking the high road on it and saying, look, Chelsea Clinton's in office, we'll sit down and talk. Um, would I ever sit down with Chelsea Clinton? No, because I think that secretly she's plotting a, a, a bid for the Senate. Um, I think that her whole thing is trying to make herself relevant. She can run for office herself and, yeah, um, you know, the dining she can continue. But what I can tell you is that Chelsea Clinton should just shut up and go away. That's just my opinion. Um, yeah. Or if you're not going to shut up and go away, then stop and listen to what other people are telling you um, and kind of take yourself out of how you feel about it and try to feel, uh, what's the quote? Um, before, gosh, before, before you seek to um, be understood, first seek to understand. And I think Amen. you said that. Um, but to me, that, that's a huge part of how we need to operate. Um, ask, what is it that you mean? What is it that you're trying to convey to me? What is it that I need to understand? And then here is my response to what you said. Um, and unfortunately, that doesn't happen a lot in politics or in society in general. No, no, and you're right. And that's exactly the problem I have. To me, like, as an American, for her to say that to her was just so damn white-splainy that I just couldn't even, I was like, no, no, whatever <laughs> Whatever's coming after that, I'm not even going to hear because what you just did is just so gross, Chelsea. Like, you don't even hear yourself right now. How is Omar any less of an American with a voice than you are? I just can't. <sighs> anyway, um, let's talk. No, I definitely agree. I mean, yeah. but she's trying to win those upstate New York votes. You know, upstate New York's real Republican. She's trying to she's trying to line up those um, upstate New York votes right now. Is what it is. Right. So, you know what? Then go um, run as a that's... fucking Republican and just be done with it already because I'm tired of this <laughs> centrist Democrats, these corporate Democrats, these white-splaining, white feminist liberal women trying to tell everybody else how they're supposed to feel about leftist things. And it's like you're... I, I'm done. Uh, and I swear to God, it's like they, they haven't learned anything from the disaster that was 2016. Uh, you know, they want to talk about how Bernie Sanders lost a rigged and very much a rigged primary, yet brag about her popular vote. Well, nobody campaigns to a damn popular vote. You couldn't even be bothered with going back to a swing state that you lost your own primary in. You 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 have... I love how she how people are trying to say the election was stolen from her. And Which I'm like, is did you like did you have a copy of the constitution or I know. no? I know. Like, like, I'm really trying to understand if you're like being um combative uh, or if you're just stupid. Because I, I need to understand so I can right? formulate my response. Uh, and yeah. you see that 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 hashtag, right? That election was stolen. Yeah, all no, in cash from her. And it's like, it's no, she was a shitty candidate and she exactly. had a shitty policy, a shitty platform. Um, she should have chosen Bernie as her VP. I mean, that's what I would have done. Yeah, um, you know what? That would have been was, smart. You know, that would have actually sealed the deal. It would have been smart, but she couldn't have that. It's her it's her hubris and her ego that get her every single time. Um, I, yes, so, ma'am. Say that. <laughs> right? 
So um, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the biggest problem facing California currently? We have a lot of issues, whether it's um, homelessness, uh, inequality in pay, like we can go down the list. But as a Senate candidate yourself, what do you think is, is the biggest problem that um, you would want to tackle? You, you asked what the biggest issue for California is. And I think that, that one of the biggest issues, at least for my area, is, is water. Um, a lot of communities in this area do not have clean drinking water. A lot of communities in this area um, are, are basically experiencing Flint-like situations where um, the communities have to either go to the store and get gallons of water or, um, you know, fill up bottles to just have water to do basic right. things like wash dishes or clean your clothes. Um, and to me, that's unacceptable. Um, I think that, that there's a lot that can be done as far as that goes. Um, there are some great projects in California. I know that there are... We haven't built, a, I think, another dam or aquifer, not aquifer, but um, aquifer, I want to say. We haven't built one of those in, a, in quite a long time because there hasn't been money for infrastructure. There hasn't been much um, set aside to prioritize what needs to be done in California. And so I think that one of one of the biggest issues for me is, especially in this area, again, is water. Um, yeah. We're looking at... Uh, the way that climate change is affecting not only California, but the whole country, the whole world. Um, and I think that that's another uh, big thing that needs to be um, dealt with. California needs to lead. Uh, we need to be um, focusing on solutions to that problem. It's a global problem that California right. can contribute. Um, I've heard reports that there are um, there is the technology to transform seawater or salt water into clean drinking water. Um, I've heard, uh, and again, I don't know how how much authenticity there is to those reports, but I can tell you that if that technology can be developed, then California needs to implement that. Um, the right. sea levels are only going to continue to rise. It's only going to continue to get worse if we don't pass a Green New Deal, if we don't um, make drastic changes. And so uh, California needs to be prepared to lead on that issue um, another one I think definitely for mm-hmm. California is the influence of money in politics. You see, if you're, I mean, obviously, as running for a United States senator, I would have the same influence uh, on state state elections and state politics. But I can tell you that I believe in all campaigns for any office being publicly funded. Um, we see the influence of, of money on the Democratic Party where they have a supermajority in, in our state leg- legislature. And so... Um, me personally, I think that money out of politics is another one. I know you only asked for one and I give you like three there, but, um, there's a lot that needs to be done. Uh, and as, as senator, I'm going to focus on the issues that affect California the most. And I'm going to do what I can to advocate for changes, um, that are going to impact Californians the most. Amen. <clears throat> and you're, you're right about the water. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not to go old Chinatown on everybody, but, you know, we had, um, a series of amendments that the Monterey amendments are called now that were passed in 1995 that led to a semi privatization of some of the water in Kern in the Kern County area. And in some, I think it affects some of Tulare. Yeah. Some of the surrounding areas where, where you literally had, I mean, not to get deep into this, there's a great, um, there's a great documentary on this, but Paramount Farms, the Resnicks, uh, the Westside Mutual Water District, which is actually sort of a private entity, not a public one, even though it sounds like a public one. But they were literally taking the the water from the Delta and selling it back to the water districts with like a 9% profit and also only funding their own farms, which was the uh, farms that grow almonds and um, pomegranates for Palm Wonderful. It's that the company Palm Wonderful and all their entities. 
you know, this is the kind of stuff, um, and it's led to a lot of problems in this state, but this is the kind of stuff that I really get pissed off at the Democrats for because they don't stick with their damn platform when they get so deeply involved in these sort of neoliberal concepts that are that are clearly not progressive in a sense. You know, it's like you want to tell me you're fighting for environmental issues and for the poor people, yet you're going to hand part of our water to a private entity that's going to rape us for it? Like, how does this make sense to you? You know, it's like, um, I honestly believe that most of the- Well, I'll do the tax cuts as well, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the privatization of our utilities was a bad idea. I mean, we, we know this from Enron. We know this from a countless other areas. Yet, what has been done to change this? I mean, uh, Southern California Edison, you know, Southern California Gas Company with the leaking- with the leaking um, gas that we had here, uh, you know, PG&E. Yeah, absolutely. They're not maintaining their lives, which has caused most of these fires recently. Now they're filing bankruptcies. Like, I really believe that the utilities should be run by the government. We were all better off when they were because there wasn't yes. a profit motivation. The The motivation was that... Well, they, wait a minute. Yeah, you sound like a socialist. You sound like a there. <laughs> you sound like a socialist. Hold so, on. I am a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously joking, but I, I definitely have advocated you know, that Governor Newsom should um, seize control of PG&E's assets. And yeah, if they want to file bankruptcy, fine. I then agree. it should be a publicly held company. Uh, and, you know, I'm not afraid of socialism. I I'm think that either. capitalism, we've seen the proof of what capitalism can do. It's ruined the world. It's ruined our economy. It's ruined the, the environment. It's ruined, um, you know, many things. And so I think that um, if not socialism, then what is the other alternative? Because capitalism is not working. Um, so I definitely agree with what you said as yeah. far as, you know, moving all all utilities, gas, energy, um, electricity, moving that to help publicly held companies. That should be what it is. There shouldn't be price gouging. There shouldn't be um, a profit motivation for That's giving right. people basic necessities to live their life. There just shouldn't be. That's right. And I feel like, you know, on that note, I, I feel like I need to say this because people have these weird ideas about what socialist values are or what democratic socialism is. And here's the thing. A capitalist market isn't a free market. Capitalism is a rigged economy. It's rigged to the capitalist. That's just the way it is. There's no argument here to be had. And social democracies, a la Sweden, actually do have better ideas of what a free market is. I mean, the, the, everybody that thinks that all free markets are capitalist, and this is something that Americans are told from the time they're little to the time they're grown up, so they never question it. This is a totally wrong idea. Capitalist markets are not free markets. They are rigged. They are rigged to the capitalists. I believe in free markets. I don't believe in capitalism, and this is the reason why. So, for example, in Sweden, the Swedish model, you have um, every corporate board has two positions that are given to union worker representation so that their rights are well represented and taken care of. There are things that we can be doing that even out the playing field and, and allow for like, a, a, you know, co-ops, worker owned co-ops. There is competition between worker owned co-ops. You're all like working, you're competing against each other to create the greatest widget, right? But workers' rights are still right. taken care of. And there's nobody benefiting from a capitalist overlord. The workers are benefiting. They are the ones that own the production. So uh the idea is to have the democracy own the means right. of production, not a not a strong central command economy. And and I just wanted to point that out for a second. Um I digressed. <laughs> But I do. Think uh, no, absolutely. No, I absolutely think that you're right. I mean, um, I, I recently tweeted um, an article I wrote for Millennial Politics about um, basically, you know, 
kind of socialism and the Democratic Party and why right, this right. boogeyman keeps coming up, right? Yeah. Um, because socialism is that convenient fall guy, right? Like, I mean, look at how they've treated Bernie Sanders for 30 years that he's been in federal government. They've called exactly. him a socialist, um, and his ideas have finally begun to gain traction, while the rest right. of the world is 30 fucking years ahead of us. Uh, the rest so of the world has us, had yeah. universal health care for 30 years. That's right. um, they're not afraid of, of a, a word, right? Because socialism is just a word. It's about the policy that goes behind it. Um, and so right. I definitely, you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of unions. I, uh, my parents were both in unions. They were uh, correctional officers, and so they were both part of, you know, the CDC union. Um, and I'm also a big fan of co-op. I'm still yeah. kind of learning about how the co-ops work. But as far as I can see, as, as someone who has been in the business world for a while now, um, who are seeing CEOs and, and heads of companies and owners, um, take home large amounts of money while paying their workers basically Nothing. peanuts That's and right. complaining about it. Yeah. Um, to me, I don't see any problem with, um, with, with, uh, worker co-ops. I know one person mentioned, um, that it should be, um, what did they say? They said uh, something along the lines of if a CEO is going to try to sell a company or an owner is going to try to sell a company, there should be the right of first refusal, which I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'm still kind of researching that. Okay. Uh, but basically, the logic was, look, if, if the CEO or the, the head of the company is going to build the company um, on the backs of their workers and then turn around and sell it to make money, yeah. The workers should be able to say, no, bro, we were, we helped you build this. This is, as right. Elizabeth Warren once said before she became a neoliberal, you um, yeah. didn't build that on your own, right? You didn't build that on your own. That's and right. so, um, I definitely agree with the sentiments that you expressed. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, that and the second part of it is, is, you know, as far as the utilities and also healthcare, there are, not everything needs to be for profit, for fuck's sake. These things don't need to be for profit. Right. We are all better served as a society when they are not for profit. When the entire, you know, and this is not a crazy thing. There was a time that this was the case. There was a time when our utilities were managed by the government and they were, we were all better off. We had lower rates and we had better service. And, you know, as far as healthcare, there was a time before, you know, the HMO Act of what 1972 under Nixon. There was a time when we didn't have for-profit healthcare. We were all better off. Healthcare was much more affordable, and everybody had access. Like so, the, we the the reason that they fight this is because this is corporate power that has long been seizing control of our government since I would say the Powell memo forward. They have lockstep every decade by decade been gaining more power. Um, by buying Congress, et cetera. It's just, you know, it's like a cycle where it just consolidates, where the power and the money keep consolidating. They've been doing this for decades now, and there's, the platonomy is so ingrained, they're not going to go down without a fight. And their attacks on, on socialist institutions, socialist ideas, have nothing to do with goose-stepping Russians, but everything to do with the fact that these are threatening to them and they're corporate profiteering, because at base, this is a discussion on worker rights, and it's a discussion about workers having a fair pay and a fair say in what happens. And they don't want that because the 1% wants to keep extracting wealth. And to me, this is something that should be really clear and obvious to Americans on both sides of the aisle at some point, not just uh-huh. not just the Democrats, but the Republicans. And I'm not talking about the people in the establishment or in the power structure of the party or elected officials. I'm talking about the voters. Voters need to take their voices back and they need to demand better from their leaders because at the end of the day, politicians are public servants. They work for us. We don't work for them. And anybody that has this hubristic idea that's the opposite, like Hillary Clinton did, like I'm owed this, I'm owed, it's my turn. 
uh, just vote for me because, well, just vote for me because. Like, this is the kind of shit that has to end. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Jam? I mean, no, true. Anyway. Hillary Clinton, 2016 slogan, vote for me, it's my turn. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> but that was pretty much what the attitude was. And it's just, it's such, it's such an insulting attitude for anybody that's entering public service to have, in my opinion. If you're not entering public service to actually be of service to your constituents and the public, just stay the hell out of it. Because that's... This, this, we've gotten to a point where we view politicians as rock stars. Politicians aren't rock stars. They aren't stars whatsoever. They're public servants. They work for their constituents. And we have to get back to that. We have to keep realizing that. And we have to take back the power of our vote. This idea that, that any candidate is entitled to your vote without earning it has to end. It has to end pronto. I'm tired of having that conversation. I'm tired of Americans giving away their right. rights. Given away their their well, I, I mean, I think there are, there are a lot of remedies, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think no, there no. are a few. I personally, um, I personally really like term limit. I'm a yeah. big fan of term limit. Um, I think it's very ironic that um, you know the United States Constitution calls for a limit of terms for the presidency, but not for members of Congress, um, and not for the Supreme Court. Obviously, um, do I think that the Supreme Court should have term limit? That's you know arguable. Some people are advocating yeah, that 20 years should be back. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't do. see anything wrong with that. I think a lifetime appointment for any position of the government um, inspires a, um, a an entitlement, right? And it, it inspires entitlement to act beyond the scope of your powers. Yeah. Um, and so as far as Congress goes, though, I'm a big fan of 20 years as well. I think um, 20 years, however you want to do it, if you want to do five years in the House and, you know, two years in the Senate or however you want to do it, you can only serve 20 years um, in an elected office at the federal level. I think that that's smart. I think that um, if you were not able to accomplish in 20 years what you need to do, um, mm-hmm. then, I mean, I don't know where, where your priorities were. And that's not, right, to, right. not to shade Bernie Sanders. Because he's, been, he's been raging against the system for year 30. Um, but it is to point out that he's you're absolutely right. We rule, have the right. You know what I mean? He's the exception to the rule. Most of these guys get in there and they don't do that. Oh, yeah. You know, he is really the exception. So I hear what you're saying there. Right. Right. And it's nice to see other people are joining him, like, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Do I think she's mm-hmm. perfect? No. Um, do I think she's better than 99% of the other Democrats by far? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Ro Khan is a good one. Ro Khan is a good one. Tulsi Gabbard is a good one. Um, he is being joined by other people, but it's going to take a lot of, you know, other progressive um, running for, for office as well. I mean, I really like yeah. the campaign of Sema Hernandez in Texas, who's running yes. for Senate. Um, if you haven't talked with her, you should try to try to get her on because she's, she's gonna, you know, a, a, a brilliant woman. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, good, yeah. good, good. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, there, there is this, this idea that politicians are rock stars or that they're infallible or that they don't work for us. And you're absolutely right that we pay, they, they work for us. We pay their salary. Um, there's no reason why we should be um, bowing down to what they tell us that they're going to do. And we should be rising up to tell them what they're going to do. And yes. that's just, you know, my opinion. Yeah. No, and I concur that. And I, that's why um, it's good to have folks like you running for office because you get the fact that these these are public servant positions and there is you're there to fight for your constituents. You're not there to tell them what they're supposed to think. If you're telling your constituents how to think, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? 
Um, anyway, so what are right. you, what is your uh, your parting thoughts for our um, audience? Uh, any last uh, items you want to share with everybody? Um, I mean, I think that I would encourage, again, everyone to do research. Look at the people who are truly representing you in government. Um, if you want a progressive voice, and I don't mean progressive with quotation, but if you want a truly um, progressive person to represent you in the United States Senate, if you want a person who's going to stand up against corporate interests, yeah. um, our campaign is not taking corporate money. We are committed to Medicare for all. Um, we are committed to a Green New Deal. We are absolutely going to advocate for um, whatever policy is going to benefit the most people. Um, we, I've never wanted to run for office, right? So I ran for the House last year. And um, when I ran, it was kind of like, it was, you know, kind of a spur of the moment decision because yeah. I saw the candidates um, that were in the race and I saw how they didn't represent me. Right. Um, if you feel that Kamala Harris or whoever is in, is in the Senate is not representing you, then I encourage you to take a look at our campaign. Um, we're getting ready to open our bank account. We're getting, we've already filed with the SEC. We already have all uh, the paperwork done behind everything, um, but we're going to begin taking donations and we cannot do this alone. Um, we're going to be outspent drastically. I mean, oh Kamala Harris has had, or I should say the last two Senate cycles have had two challengers that were really well-known. Loretta Sanchez uh, ran against Harris. She yeah. was a congresswoman. Uh, and Kevin DeLeon ran against um, Feinstein. And they were both way more well-known than I am. They both had way more experience in government than I do. Um, but that is not to say that we are daunted by that challenge. We are willing to accept that challenge, but we need the help from the people um, like the listeners that are able to pitch in, that are able to volunteer, that are able to get in contact with us, phone bank for us, Canvas, um, or just retweet, man. Just retweeting things that I say, I get so happy when I hit, you know, 30 likes on something that I, that I tweeted because I remember what I used to get like one, right? I used to get one like six months ago right. um, to see our message gaining traction among people, to see that people are truly ready for a different option um, is enlightening. And so I guess my final word to everyone is give us a chance. Give us a chance to show you the vision that I have for California, the vision that I have for the country and that our team has because I'm nothing without what they're doing to help me um, to get us where we need to be. 